Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, doctors recommend regular physical checkups, especially for children as they're growing. It's important to go regularly to the doctor just to make sure everything's okay, that things are developing the way they should, that things are, are growing in the way that is normal. And every year, we as church, the body of Christ, we don't go through an annual physical, but we go through an annual spiritual, a spiritual checkup of that spiritual body, which is the church. And that checkup happens specifically in the family visits, the home visits, which the elders make to each home, to each family. Now, the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. And so the elders like to, or they have the opportunity and the task to check that everything is going well in the body, that things are growing and developing in the way they should. And you look at verse 13 there, this is the way things should be going. We're all to be attaining to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to become adult, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what the elders are evaluating as they visit us. If we're making progress, if we're growing, if God is giving us growth, and the elders in turn are evaluated when they get visited by their ward elders. And when the pastor gets visited by his. And so we begin a new season of family visits today, reflecting on the theme, building up the body of Christ. Now, the idea of our text and the idea of Scripture is not just personal growth, but growing together, growing in Christ. And we'll understand that more if we step back from our text for a moment and look at the context of the whole epistle. It's always a little awkward to jump into the middle of an epistle and preach a text because you don't have what comes before. So if you have your Bible handy, follow with me very quickly as we do an overview of the first chapters until we get to our text. In chapter 1, Paul teaches us the glorious truth that in eternity God has blessed us, he chose us, he predestined us to be his children in Christ. And then in time, God lavishes the riches of his grace upon us to redeem and to forgive sinners. And Paul declares the mystery of the gospel, that everything broken by sin is fixed and restored in Christ. See, that's what sin does. Sin explodes things. Sin breaks things. Sin breaks relationships. It breaks life. It breaks happiness. It breaks unity. It breaks the creation. And when God fixes things in Christ, he unites everything and everyone in Christ. Unites and restores. And you can think of that Japanese art called kintsugi where a broken piece of pottery, the pieces aren't thrown in the garbage, but rather those pieces are carefully and meticulously put back together, and what holds them together is gold or some other precious metal. 
so that the final restored pottery is even more precious and beautiful than what was originally broken. And that's what God does in Christ. As sin has smashed and broken the creation and all the relationships in it, in Christ all things are restored, all things are held together by that precious love and the glorious mercy and grace of God in Christ. It comes out even more beautiful in the end than it ever was before. That's chapter 1. And then chapter 2, Paul says, well, listen, we are not the ones that fix this. It doesn't matter if you're born in God's covenant people, if you're born in the church, if you're born outside of the covenant, outside of the church, in the world, we're all by nature dead in our sins and trespasses. We can't fix the problem. No one of us could find a way to get back home to the Father, but Christ is the only way. And then in chapter 3, Paul speaks about the mystery of the gospel, which was hinted to in the Old Testament, but which is revealed more clearly at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That participating in the saving work of God in Christ is open to everyone. That there is no special membership status. There are no charter members. There are no privileged member class whether you're born in the covenant or brought into the covenant, whether you're born in the church or you come to the church later on in life, every man and woman and child in Christ is a fellow heir, a member of the same body, a fellow partaker of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so our status in the church is not into what family we were born or how we grew up, or what we've done, or how long we've been a church member. No, our status in the church is found in Christ. And every one of us has the same Christ. Whether you're born in the church, and you're in your 80s or 90s, or whether you joined last week, we all have the same status in God's family. And so... Paul's speaking, of course, in the, in the first century to a church which is just getting used to the influx of the Gentiles and how does that work? And so he goes on to chapter 4, our chapter, and he says, listen, that being the case, what I've just said, live that reality. There is no basic, premium, executive, and platinum level membership in God's church. There's none of this business of saying to people, listen, you're new here. You're not quite in, in the inside circle. You don't have enough connections. You're a bit of a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. No. We are all equally members of the body of Christ. We're, look at verse 4 of chapter 4. We're filled with the same spirit. We share one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so there's this glorious unity in the body. And together with that glorious unity, there is a glorious diversity. And Paul addresses that next. Every one of God's sons and daughters has equal status before God, receives the same grace of salvation, but gets different graces or gifts for serving. And then he mentions how that works when the Lord Jesus ascended. He poured out his Holy Spirit 
and in the Spirit, with the Spirit, poured out spiritual gifts upon the church, and there were temporary gifts, which were for that time, and there are enduring gifts. And amongst the top enduring gifts that the Holy Spirit pours out upon the church are the gifts of teaching. The apostles and the prophets, the evangelists of the early church, and then later on, their spiritual descendants, the pastors and teachers in the centuries ever since. And what is their job? Well, look at verse 12. Their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The pastors of the church, the preacher, the elders, the deacons as they support, their job is not to build the church, but their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the job of the office bearers is not to build the church, but to equip the saints to build it. How? Well, look at verse 13. To build it in such a way that we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's what builds the church. That's what makes the church grow. When the pastors of the church pass on the faith, when they teach the pattern of sound doctrine entrusted to us by the apostles, the teaching about who Christ is, the teaching about what Christ has done. The church's main job is to preach Christ, to teach Christ, to proclaim Christ, to feed the believers with the word of Christ. And when the believers, when the members of the body are fed with the word, they grow. And when the members grow, they mature. And when the members grow and mature, the body grows and matures. And so you, you might remember the first sermon, or one of the first sermons I preached here in this building, in which I mentioned that this is a building for the building of a building. And I spoke about the spiritual temple that the church is. We can also say that this building here is a building for the building of a body. And the apostle says that body has to be built, that body has to grow, it has to develop, has to mature to a certain standard, to a certain measure. What is it? The measure is the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, a body has to match the level of maturity of the head. That makes sense, right? Imagine your body wasn't like that. Imagine your body didn't match the maturity of your head. Imagine that you still had the little baby arms and the little baby legs that you had when you were a baby. That would be very awkward. You wouldn't be able to live very well. It would be so wrong. If you had the head you have with an infant body would be a monstrosity. And so Christ, the head of the body, is perfect in love, he is perfect in truth, and in him reside all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the apostle says, look, he's the head, and then he says to the church, don't be a baby. Don't be immature. Don't be like children carried along by the, the waves tossed by the waves and carried about by every wind 
of doctrine. If you put a toddler, a little baby, in a canoe on a big, wide-open lake, that toddler is just going to be at the mercy of the waves and the wind, and that canoe will be directionless, easily pushed one way or another. And Paul continues that we should not be children deceived by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Children are gullible. Children are easily deceived. Children have little knowledge. And if you have little knowledge, and if you don't know what you stand for, then you fall for anything. And how often do we see that? We see weak Christians. They are absent from public worship. They despise the word and the sacraments. They do not hunger for the word of God in Bible reading, in Bible study. And because the word does not dwell in them richly, they have nothing meaningful to say to build up others. And you see how easily they fall for the lies of the world or they, they tip headlong into some twisted, homemade version of Christianity or for some hokey, false religion of another type. And the apostle says, don't be like that. Don't be a baby. But rather, and now we get to our text, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That's what God's church does. The word of God dwells in us richly. We are rooted and grounded in the truth. We know where we are headed. We know in whom we have believed. And so we speak truth. And when we speak truth, then we speak Christ because Christ is the way, the truth and the life. And we speak truth in love. And when we do that, we speak the truth in God because God is love. And so we speak Christ, the truth of God, in the love of God. When we do that, when we address one another in the truth and love of God, then we grow and we contribute to the growth one of the other. And so the apostle envisions the church as being a place of communion where there is a lot more than just social chit-chat and shallow conversations about the weather. These are pleasant in their place, and they are a part of normal, healthy human interaction for all humans but the general social interactions that we share with unbelievers are not what build the body of Christ. We need to speak the truth of Christ in the love of God. That is what makes us grow. And that is what holds the church together. That's something for us to think about. In our situation, in our special, unique case as being, to some extent, still largely a, uh, an immigrant community with a lot of people from Dutch heritage, that what holds the church together is not social connections. It's not family. It's not blood. 
It's not marriage. It's not friendship. It's not a common ethnic and cultural heritage. You know, that's a real easy mistake to make when you're born into a congregation like this and you go through all the drills and you go to a Christian school and and you go to catechism and you profess your faith and you go to the Lord's Supper and you partake in the events of the church and you've got your network of family and friends and connections and there's a clear and present danger that we confuse those things with being in Christ. And that those things are the things that hold us together. And that those things are the things that keep us here. You know, it's so easy to fall into that mistake because even if you don't believe in your heart, it's still worth being part of a community like this to have connections all over the world. If you need a job, there are all kinds of people that you have their number and, and people that can look out for you. It's something that, that, that unbelievers just can't imagine the, the amount that we are networked. And there is huge social capital for those who are part of a strong and vibrant church. But brother and sister, if that's the only thing that holds us together, if that's the only thing that holds you here there will be people on that last day who will stand before the judgment seat of God and they will realize at that moment when it's too late to their terror that they never were in Christ. That it was all this deep and that it never went any further. Social connections, family, marriage, friendship, common ethnic, cultural heritage, if that holds us together, that puts our eternal salvation in danger. But it also excludes those who aren't part of those networks. If somebody comes to us, they don't have those social connections, they don't have the family, the marriage, the friendship, the common ethnic and cultural heritage. If those things are what give us unity, then those newcomers will sit there on the outside. They'll never be part. They'll never feel unity with the people of God. They'll never feel like they're in. And to our shame, as churches, reformed churches with a Dutch immigrant heritage, that has happened far too often in our history. And it's still happening to some extent. The apostle puts before us what really holds the church together. Only the truth of Christ and the love of God, that's what unites us, that's what holds us together. So maybe we should stop asking newcomers and visitors, do you know this or that person in the Dutch immigrant community? Maybe we need to start asking other questions. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you know him? What has he done? What is he doing in your life? Because anybody who is in Christ can answer that question. And so we speak the truth in love. And if we are to speak the truth in love, we need to know the truth. We need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we need, if we are to speak the truth in, in love, we need to know what it, has, what it is to have the love of God poured into our hearts. And when we know Christ, and when we know that glorious blessing of having the love of God poured into our hearts, then it just comes naturally, brother and sister. It just comes naturally. And then we see the results. What happens? We grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's what happens. Now, the picture here is not that individual members grow into the head. That, of course, is not how things work. But the picture here is that we grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So that the world can look and the world can see there is the body of Christ, not as a social organization tied to a specific ethnic heritage, but the body of Christ as a living community of believers knit together in the love and the truth of God, the very presence of Christ in the world, so that when the unbeliever wants to say, I want to know God, I want to, I want to get to know God, I want to get to know Christ, where can I see him? Then they could say, there in the church I can find him. That the church as the body of Christ is the reflection of the infinite grace and glory and holiness and mercy and goodness and love of God in Christ. And so that's what the call of the gospel is to us. Speaking the truth in love to grow in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And that means in the first place, personal growth. It means that I need to grow in knowing the truth of Christ and the love of God because if I as a member do not grow, if my spiritual level is just static and it's just stopped, then that is a cause for alarm. Imagine a child who is growing and suddenly their lungs or their heart stop developing in proportion to the body. Imagine you, if your heart right now was the size that it was when you were six months old, you probably wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be healthy. If you, if you were alive, you wouldn't be very healthy. And so a member of the body of Christ who, who never grows, who never matures, brings pain to the body and brings danger to the body. And that's why in the annual spiritual checkup in the annual home visit. The elders are not there to check off boxes. How many verses have you read in the Bible? Are you towing the line? Are you following the rules? That's not what they're there for. But they come because they want to know, are you in Christ? Are you growing in Christ? Is Christ in you? Is it no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you? Is Christ all and in all for you? Are you feeding on the word of Christ? Does the peace of Christ dwell in your heart and rule in your heart? Does the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Does the love of Christ compel you and drive you to do what you do and to be who you are? Can you pray together with St. Patrick, Christ with me? Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, 
Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. That's what the elders are there for. They want to see that you're growing and maturing and advancing in Christ. So it's personal growth in the first, in the first hand. And secondly, it also means communal growth. Because when you grow, the body grows. And the biblical model of the church is that in Christ, the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. And so your growth is not just your personal concern, but your fellow believers need you to grow as you need them to grow. We need to grow together in him. And it starts with Christ. Do you see that there? The end of verse 15, the beginning of verse 16. Christ from whom the whole body grows so that it builds itself up in love. That's where it starts. It comes from him. He nourishes us with his word. He feeds our faith in the sacraments. He works in us new life by the power of his spirit. And as he does so, as he grows each one of us in grace, we use the gifts that the spirit has given to us to promote the edification and the growth of the other members of the body. And so another thing the elders will want to be checking as they do that annual spiritual checkup. They will want to know this. How are you connecting with the other members of the body? Are you, as God's chosen ones, putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another? And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Are you, above all, putting on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony? You can't see it in the English translation, but look there at verse 16, children. The, the word joint, oh, sorry, the, the verb joined there in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together. That verb joined in Greek is the word from which we get our English word harmony. Harmony, that's in the Greek word there. And so the whole body fitting together in a beautiful way. Fitting together. Is that how we're living? The elders will want to know, are you admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God? Are you, in whatever you do, in word or deed, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him? The elders want to know as they visit us, is this part of the body working properly? Is this part of the body using the things with which it is equipped, the things, the gifts and the graces with which it is supplied to bring growth and blessing and truth and love to the other members of the body? Is this part of the body contributing to the growth of the body? Now, what happens 
What happens when we seek to grow in Christ both personally and together? Well, then in Christ, the body grows and builds itself up in love. Now, look at verse 15, look at verse 16, look at the verb that Paul uses in the first verse there, verse 15. He speaks about growing up. That's what a body does. It grows. But now he changes, even though he's still talking about the body, he uses a different concept in verse 16. He says the body grows so that it builds itself up. And the verb he uses is a verb for building a house, for building a home. And so it makes you think of that spiritual temple, that dwelling place of God where we we dwell in the presence of God. Now, why does Paul do that? Why does he kind of teeter over into the other metaphor, the metaphor of the, of the, the temple and the spiritual building? Well, because no one metaphor is enough to describe the glory of what God is doing in the church. There's so much going on. You think of what the Bible says about our bodies. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That applies to the body as a whole as well. The church is the body of Christ, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God. And so a church full of growing and healthy and mature Christians with growing and healthy and mature relationships in Christ is a spiritual temple, the very dwelling place of God on this earth. In a world full of hate, This is a home filled with the love of Christ. In a world full of turmoil, this is a home filled with the peace of Christ. In a world full of lies and deceit, this is a home filled with the truth of Christ. In a world full of darkness, this is a home filled with the light of Christ. Is that what we are? Is that where we're at? Well, brother and sister, if you look at the church, this one or any other one, we have to admit, to be honest, that it's more of a construction zone. It's messy, and there are bits missing, and as we look at it being built up and edified, we need imagination to think of what it's gonna look like when it's all done. The church is a work in progress, We're going to sing hymn 52. It speaks about the church by schisms rent asunder, the church sore oppressed, the church by heresies distressed. Because the building of the body of Christ is a work of faith. We don't see it yet, but we know, we believe that he is doing it that this work of faith is a work whose foundation is Christ. And the power of this work is the Spirit of Christ. And the total cost for this work has been paid by the blood of Christ. And this is the cosmic building project that you are part of, the body of Christ, the church of the living God. Elect from every nation, Yet one are all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses, 
with every grace endued. Amen.